Fuck pain. Fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. From the multicultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Dows Podcast. Tonight, it's interview time again, as meditation teacher Ishtar Howell joins us for a wild chat, including, why be at constant war against things that are inevitable? We are not bound to the roles in which we are dealt, getting a quick peek at the design of the universe cosmic video games, vegetarian burritos, and know that there is a level in all of us that knows the whole damn game. Away we go! And now, asking you all to spread the words that corporations are not persons, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, the savage philosopher and middle finger of the gods, Daniele Bolelli. As we invite you to lower the lights, batten down the hatches, and prepare to open your mind for the Drunken Dows podcast begins now. Welcome back, everybody. Another fine episode of the Drunken Dows podcast, episode 187. It's Ishtar Howell, a meditation guru and all-around swell guy. Apparently, he makes a mean uh, vegan uh, rap as well. So He's awesome. I love him. Yeah, this is a great conversation. I think it's a, kind of a, it's going to make you feel good. Yeah, this is going to be good stuff. Um, let's give a couple of shout-outs, starting with the sweet folks who have donated. Let the pottering begin. So let's go screw up your names. This month we got Thomas Robinson, Aistis Juska, Nicola Togni, Jan Suikeli, Andrew Kapor, Jonathan McDowell, Geoffrey Stewart, Samuele Rudelli, Jim D'Amico, Froggy Style Production, Xavier Walker, Joseph Mendoza Green, and Lane Raper. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much for supporting the show. If you want to join the list of these brave heroes supporting us, <laughs> that is paypal.me forward slash dbolelli. Again, paypal.me forward slash the letter D as in Daniele, the letter B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And that's the way to go. Of course, other ways to support the show is using our Amazon link, dbamazing.com. That is dbamazing.com. Anything you buy on Amazon, we get a little cut. So if you can please click those extra couple of things you need to click to do it, it helps us a whole bunch. I have some bragging to do. 5,000 loans via our 223 members of Team Drunken Dallas Kiva. Phenomenal. Kiva.org, please come on by, join the rest of us. Um, even in these hard times, folks are still willing to hand out and help folks out, and uh, it's quite fantastic. And there's a lot of uh, like COVID-related things for folks that need help with their businesses. That's all up there, too, so come on by and join us. We are well on our way. It's going to be a quarter million before we know it. That's phenomenal. It is and phenomenal. And it's something you have been doing all along, so that's great. Quick shout-outs. couple of people who have been... I'll give them shout-outs on the regular because they have been providing some awesome thing for the Bolelli household. So yesterday I got a giant shipment from zebraathletics.com. If you guys are into martial arts or yoga or anything of that sort and you have the space to put down some serious heavy-duty mats, these are great for jiu-jitsu, for judo, for all kinds of martial arts. 
I'm actually, as we record, I just got them and we are about to, I'm about to actually head out to Italy due to some, if I say head out to Italy, do some family business, it sounds really shady. It's not we got some quite, problems we need to take care of back in the old country. Yeah, it's not exactly that, but I in any case. I wouldn't ask these favors if I didn't need them. <laughs> Pretty <What>? much, right? <laughs> so, but when I come back, I look forward to rolling on this glorious mat. So if you guys want to create your homemade dojo, zebraathletics.com they are phenomenal i'll put the link in the episode notes and also speaking of episode notes and links i'll put the link to beyond02water.com again that's beyond02water.com there's a discount code for drunken taoist listener db50 again db50 and that's if you guys want to get water filters, whether they are water filters for your sink, for having high-quality drinking water, you want a filter for the whole house or anything like that. These guys are sort of the super high-end deal of uh, filtering system, so insanely good quality. Check them out again. If you are thinking of getting a filter, might as well give them a click and see if you like their stuff. Beyond02water.com. Oh, I want to see the UV filtration. Is there right? actually like a tube with UV? That's what the, as we speak right now, there's the plumber inside installing some of that stuff. Awesome. So that's precisely what's happening I in saw this very moment. A crazy. Of all people, Zach Efron is going around the world and he's done a little series, but everywhere he goes, like he went to Paris to talk about. Not only do they have both sparkling and flat drinking fountains all through the city, yeah. it is the cleanest municipal water in the world. And a, a massive facility, and a whole giant bit of it is pipes where UV treatment, oxygenation, also it's not like, wash it through some sand and the turds might go away and then you can drink it again. It's like really water well is, done. Water is like, we take it for granted. Yeah. It's like there's nothing like it. You know, there's uh, good quality Oh, man. It's like, I can't even, like, it's the classic thing, you know, you sweat a bunch, you're south, it's hot in summer, that one fresh glass of good tasting water, yep. it's heaven in a glass. And so I tend to, I'm a super, like, I don't like spending. I tend to be very, like, oh, I don't need a new pair of shoes just because I have more holes than, uh, it, it's fine, they can last another year or two. Yep. But, like, when it comes to stuff like these, I think that's where I'm more inclined to spend if I'm going to spend somewhere. I'm a total snob. I get the, the five-gallon bug jugs out and go fill them up at this great little guy. He's gourmet water. <laughs> and I knew he was good because all the guys that do the car washing and stuff, they have the big right. tanks. It's spotless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, oh, man, is it delicious. Speaking and, of delicious, oh, let's give one more shout out. Grassland Beef. Grasslandbeef.com. Oh, the good I, stuff. Mm, that London broil. I make stew out of it. And once again, the New Mexico green chili stew. Amazing. Plus, I also make my own uh, pinto beans to put into the recipe now. Sweet. You're so, a pro. You are a pro at and this. Jalapenos from my garden. Serrano peppers from my garden. Tomatoes from the garden. And grassland onions beef. Onions from the garden. And grassland beef. And homemade pinto beans. And... I mean, we've reached that point of the year where every meal has elements from the garden. From the garden. That's awesome. That's the way to do it. Cool. With that, uh, we got all our, le oh, of course, short design t-shirts. Shout out as always. So uh, check I do out. Have, I got one real, oh, go ahead. Please finish that. I'm sorry. No, no. I was just going to say, check out the links in the episode notes. If you're interested in any of these, that would be sweet. I just but want to mention the, the social distancing festival. The, uh, the guy sent us a nice T-shirt. Yes. And just because you're running out of town quickly, I wasn't able to get that lined up. But I may actually 
just get a quick interview with him next week so good. we can drop him in at some point. That would be phenomenal. Nice guy. It's a great idea, and the timing just didn't work Helps out. musicians and everything. Helps musicians yeah. and artists, and it's really, you know, it can't hurt anybody. Totally. And If you guys can do that, that would actually be phenomenal. Yeah, we'll arrange that, but I just wanted to get that in there up front. Beautiful. And, and now an amazing, pretty much, like, inspirational uh, chat with a fellow that... <laughs> It may be a bit out there, but he's quite awesome. Let's jump into it. Actually, man, I wish I can be as out there as he is. Oh, me he's too. just He's a, got it figured out. He's a good human being who's just, I don't know, man. He, I find him awesome on multiple ways. Yeah, he impressed me as well. Ready to roll. We got Mr. Ishtar Howell. Is that how you pronounce your last name? How do you pronounce it? I pronounce it Howell. 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 Yeah. I like Howell. Yeah. That sounds better. Yeah. Is I'm that not... the, the Howls of Gilligan Island su- fame? Yeah. <laughs> What is it supposed to be pronounced like? Because now I'm puzzled <laughs> by the English language. It's supposed to be pronounced Howell, but it's actually, um, uh, it's either from Cornish or Welsh, but they're both Brithianic Celtic languages. It's i understand it's from the Welsh, and I have no idea how they pronounce it because they spell it H-Y-V-E-L. And, you know, God, wow. God knows. Okay, that take care of business. Yeah, that's go. definitely <laughs> beyond my pronunciation capacities. <laughs> and uh, I guess, you know, we'll jump into the conversation and we'll take it wherever we want to take it. But for the sake of getting the ball rolling, do you want to give a um, you know, little bit of a... Um, I don't know how even to begin, I guess. Life journey. Um, what would be... I think you know yourself slightly better than I do. Uh, Where sure. Do sure, you want me to go... Sh- I can do short, medium, or, or long. What, what do you think? However you want to play. <laughs> okay, all right. All right, so maybe slightly longer than bullet, um, than a few bullet points then. Cool. Um, well, well, let's see. I, I, I'm kind of coming to you today, uh, you know, we met a year ago and then we we've mm-hmm. recently met in the space of meditation and that's kind of what my life has been uh devoted to for maybe the last 20 years or so and mm-hmm. when when i really started um meditating in earnest you know doing it um, a lot of hours every day i was what was i 16 or 17 i was 17 years old and mm-hmm. um When I was 17, I was meditating six hours a day, waking up at three in the morning and taking cold showers, um, which are colder in Wisconsin than maybe many mm. other places. And, and so the, that kind of begs the question, how did, how did we end up there? It's kind of um, a strange thing for somebody that age to be doing. And, and in my It's case, a strange thing for anybody of any age to be doing. Oh, okay. Yes, definitely so, for yeah. somebody of that age. Yes. <laughs> yeah, take it for a matter of course. Um, I, I ended up in, in that sort of situation, um, I, I suppose, based on a lot of factors in, in truth. But the singular factor that, that really um, pushed me in that direction was um, being in a car accident with my mother when I was 13 years old and having her die. Um, and then me surviving and in the process 
um, you know, having essentially what I would later uh, term a near-death experience because I didn't really have any terminology for what, what I experienced at the time. And uh, that was an interesting experience also because uh, the, the night before the accident, uh, like I'd had a lot of times in my life, I had a, a very strong sort of precognitive sense, just totally out of the blue, uh, when I was talking with my mother uh, before going to bed. And my, it just basically, uh, the words just poured right into my mouth before my mind could even, um, you know, pick them up. And, and the words were, Mom, I have a feeling you're going to die soon. And, wow. and it um, stunned her. Um, Cause I think there was, it stunned me too. Cause there was some kind of oomph and power that just kind of pushed right, right through my nervous system. And then she kind of collected herself. Um, and she said, well, don't, don't worry. Don't worry. I, I'm, I'm, I'm don't plan on dying for, you know, quite some time. In fact, I'll, I'll, I'll be here around here on earth for as long as you need me. And that, um, you know, I, I called down for that and went to bed. And the next morning when I woke up, I woke up with uh, sort of a crazy start, just springing vertically, basically, right as my mother and father were uh, walking outside my bedroom door. And I always kept the door open. That's another story. I felt <laughs> safer with an open door than it would have closed for certain reasons. Um, so they were, they were right outside my door and I saw them and I immediately started talking with some some earnestness and force there's something i have to tell you but I, I i don't know what it is i was so frustrated i felt as if i just run into my physical body and some kind of like like the the guy at marathon and only the guy at marathon forgot his, his totally forgot his purpose and his message and i was so distraught they they took five minutes to calm me down um so they called me down i went off to the second to the last day of my school year and, um, you know, it was a normal day, award ceremony, stuff like that, came home. And, you know, there we, there we were pulling out of a, of a parking lot going across a divided highway. And I'm looking to my left and there's a big car about to, just about to hit us. And, and then all of the classic, a lot of the classic, I should say, NDE components sort of happened right then and right there without me having to, um, you know, flatline. And um, the, the most important you know, um, things of, of components of that were the, the life of you. Uh, I had always been fascinated with those sorts of phenomena as a kid. And I was sort of raised to be, I uh, wasn't raised in any religion. I was raised in kind of the church of science, but, a, but, you know, thankfully not, not too harsh, uh, a church of science. Uh, I, was, I was raised to be an open-minded critical thinker, but I'd always been curious about those sorts of things. And, and there, right in that moment, there, there was my life flashing before my eyes, going backwards like, uh, like a perfect reel with no part left out. Only it was even enriched um, in the sense that I, I was connecting with what I would call a totally objective um, facet of my consciousness, which, which saw everything. And the, the main thing that happened there was that any, any place where I had lied to someone or like myself or any, any place where I had put up a mask of pretense, any grudges that I held, any places where I, I, I reacted um, out of ego, you know, pure ego, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw them clearly and, and they were forgiven. Now I forgave them all. I forgave everybody. And it, the, the sense was like having a, 
having some kind of membrane taken taken off of me. And when that membrane came down, I was I was everywhere. I was everything. I was in everything. Um, it was total joy, total bliss. Uh, you know, total presence and knowing. It was the most alive I'd ever been in my whole life. Uh, maybe since I was a um, a little toddler and I had similar experiences, but not not to the not to the purity and cleanliness, um, mm-hmm. all em- all embracing cleanliness of that. And so that was a big ring in the ring of my spiritual bell, you could say. And um, then we get hit by a car. I'm concussed, of course. You know, being concussed afterwards. As they're pulling me out of the of car, they're asking me, "Who? What's your name?" I said, "I have no idea what my name is. Uh, I don't really yeah. know anything except that's my mother over there, and that that was it. And um, that could have been it, except only only after that something, in fact, sometimes an awful lot of that um, space of consciousness that I'd been in uh, persisted with me, and and you know I interacted with it, and I was swimming in it and learning about it um, for the next few months, and eventually it sort of uh, you know faded away and and then it, then it was my life's mission you know even though i hadn't quite embraced it as my life's mission it really was it was it was really my mission to get back to that and so that's that's mm-hmm. how you, you end up a 17 year old in wisconsin taking cold showers at three in the morning meditating. yeah i can there's a logic to that um based on everything else that you have experienced since what do you make of that particular state of consciousness slash experience slash like how do you i hate the word make sense of it because in some way it makes sense on its own it doesn't need to but you know what i mean it's like it's uh how do you explain how do you explain it to yourself well um making sense of that uh, a lot of it came oh dancing thank you (laughs) i loved it (laughs) a lot of the sense came with uh, my later sort of monastic period in which I had a lot of time to meditate and, and, and get to know it again. And w- what was wonderful um, was that, yes, I didn't have to get into a, another sure. car accident or do something, you know, put myself into some extreme situation like that. In fact, I could do a very pleasurable meditation, um, you know, a few times a day. I do some yoga, do some other things, definitely live a very focused life and, and, and start to touch it again and start to touch it in different ways. And over the years, it's how it's made sense is more to do with uh, where is the, where is my center and what is my center and who am I? Because that, th- those two first two questions are answering that third one. Right. And where before I was living as I was trained to live as this, you know, you get, you think you're a purse, you know, this sort of little person with a biography, you you, you have the yeah. sense that you're commenting on your life and all this kind of stuff. And, and you'd like to often like to shut it the hell up because it, it gets into some pretty, uh, you know, some places of neurotic suffering yeah. and, and, and pounding. And that fell away. Um, instead of having the sense of being centered as that little commentator and, and you know, being in that space, um, over time, there is a sense of kind of being everywhere. Kind of being in this um, place that, well, I'm on this podcast, The Drunken Taoist, and the first line of the Tao Te Ching is that the Tao that can be spoken is not the eternal Tao. Sure. And yep. in that place is exactly um, what what the place of the NBE, the place that meditation leads to, is. 
And, and so over, over the years, there's a sense of just sitting back in that and, and in, in a sense, watching, not in a, not in a dissociative way, but watching life as it, as it moves. Um, another important part of that is there is um, a falling away of a lot of the, the fears and the neurotic concerns um, you know, that are understandable over the state of uh, my, my little individual life. Um, it, it's as if resting in that, big, vast, um, unknown, undiscovered country resting in that consciousness just washes those considerations away or dwarfs them. I've always had this notion that every interaction we have with somebody creates a spark, positive or negative spin, that exists forever. And you talking about like this review of your life where, you know, there's no guilt. Yeah, you made mistakes, but everybody does. Does that tell you more that in this crazy planet that we live on where we never seem to get it right, that maybe it's that way for a reason so that we can test things and we can make mistakes. And in the end, it doesn't matter at all because the earth does not give a single shit. It's going to keep on rolling. Yeah. Yeah. There, there was a sense of total and complete resolution. Um, in, the, in that sense, there was a sense that, Holy shit, I am, I am now living at a, I'm now seeing the level of reality in which, um, we are not bound to the costumes and often unfortunate roles uh, which were dealt and, and which we de- deal to each other. And in that sense, total resolution and total forgiveness. How do we spread that message? Well, I guess that raises some question because, yeah, speaking on behalf of myself and I'm sure quite a few listeners who are, you know, we all have our black belts in random psychosis and, uh, <laughs> you know, worries <laughs> and fears and all of that stuff that you were referring to a minute ago. What kind of rescued you from that is getting this, uh, I mean, I can't think of any other way to describe it other than you're really getting a very different view of reality. Like yeah. you're getting a very different view of what life is, of what reality itself is. It's like it's a window into some other kind of, and not just individual consciousness, but more of like, if, if I may say so, like in some way, the design of the universe. Yes, um, yes. And of course, it's tricky because it's always filtered through individuality. You know, no matter, you know, you're, you still have a body, you still have a brain, you still have all those things. But clearly this has had a monstrously profound impact on you. It has shaped the rest of your life. It has shaped, at least in this state of consciousness, in this life, it has clearly pushed you on a particular path. I would love to hear as much as you feel like sharing on that, because it's like, and again, I understand, you know, the, as you rightfully reminded us, the first line of the Tao Te Ching, you know, if you can explain it, it's not the real thing. And of course, right now I'm going to ask you to explain it, which is, <laughs> but, you know, after all the Tao Te Ching, after writing the first line, I went on to write a whole book about it. So in some way you can see that there's a paradox there that, no, of course it cannot be explained. But once we have established that, we can have a nice chat about it. So as much as humanly possible in terms of our consciousness in the year and now, how do you explain it to yourself? What is your understanding of reality? What is your understanding on human life? What is your, you know, sorry that I throw these softball questions at you, but you know, it's like. I'm, I'm all up for, for getting into some moon pointing finger time here. Uh, yeah, this is, this is perfect. And I think, First, and I'll try not to be too uh, redundant, 
but there there is a sense a very visceral sense of, of that you know that famous shakespeare line that we're all just players on the stage um mm-hmm. living in a play and this is quite you know very resonant with anybody who's um you know deep into hinduism 101 um there there is a sense of perfect order there is a sense getting in more into the Taoist waters of flow um that our little individual lives, the little roles that, that we have to play, um, are each each of them kind of like a song or kind of like the course of a river. And that our main problem, um, existentially speaking, I'm not talking about all the many problems that face us sure. in human life, but um, apart from those, our, our main problem is, is our, our struggle against the course of that river itself. Um, are, are the the extra commentary that we play in around around in our head, the extra um, pushing away of what is of, of what is exactly in front of us, and as that falls away, then we find that um, instead of shooting ourselves in the foot, often, or instead of having this sense of um, trying to wade through molasses to go from point A to point B to point C, there is this wonderful flow that that starts to happen. This sense of of surrender, if you want to, want to put it that way, um, and, and going with the grain, our natural grain, instead of going against it. And of course, we're always going to have pain. Sometimes we're going to have intense fucking pain and death and all sorts of things that the little that the individualized self is is well designed to kind of resist, like sure. using fight or flight or whatever. But um, we don't have to have fight or flight go off uh, to the degree that it does in our world. Uh, we, we don't have to have fight or flight go off when we're when we're cut off in traffic we, we should really ideally reserve it for the saber-toothed tigers or the, or the grizzly bears that we're um, encountered right. with and so that that goes down uh, that that fight or flight stop going down correlates with with getting having this sense of being moved around in christian terminology we could see, you would say that we're, we're being moved we're, we're going with the holy spirit going along the path and that makes a whole hell of a lot of difference. And, and, and there we get into some weird and wild um, stuff that a lot of, you know, maybe a lot of your viewers might, might put in the uh, category of magical thinking. Like, like for instance, my life has been um, shocked full of very, very strange manifestations, as people call them. There, there have been so, so many incidents where I have spoken a thing only to have the thing happen immediately. Mm-hmm. And they've been odd things uh, or very specific things I could say. Like once I was in our little monk run cafe, uh, actually coming to that cafe is only one too. But once one day I was working in there and just having a great time chopping away about an hour before closing, sort of the final stretch, weren't expecting any customers at that time because the lunch rush was well over. And I was just sitting there and just like what happened with my mother, the words just kind of poured out of my mouth from this very still silent place, which, which, I was kind of cultivating being in that stillness and the words were, wouldn't it be great if 20 people just decided to show up and only we wouldn't be stressed out at all. We would serve them like in the fastest time we've ever served anybody. It would be a wonderful flow. And, and so uh, not long after I said that out loud, because you kind of hear us from the outside, um, one, one of our coworkers uh, got a phone call and then came up to the kitchen window and said, Okay, guys, you better get ready, kind of bossing us around, because 20 people just called, and they're going to be here in five minutes. So we never had more than an eight-top 
at our at our at our restaurant. So, and I said, "Ha ha, very funny, nice nice try, but I don't believe you." You know, because figured she just heard me saying that, and she said, "No, you know, they're coming, so you better you better get your ass ready." And I was like, "Okay, all right." And uh, you know, I hadn't I didn't quite believe it yet, but um, shit, right when I saw the first four heads moving into the door, I was like, you know, there was a sense of you know, uh, like, uh, so it begins. And, and, but it was a very, you know, blissful. I was told, I was already in this wonderful bliss at that time. And it just put me into this massive, like, because what, it, you know, with the synchronicity like that. And then the whole art of, we, we had five hors d'oeuvres, which were kind of a pain in the ass the way we had them because we were chopping. So our, our menu required us to chop so many things on the fly. So, so the food would taste really good. And we mm-hmm. had 20 entrees and we made the order in five minutes. I don't know how we did it because time was not existing when we were doing it. My, my co-chef, Nataraja, was throwing ingredients over to me at the stove like he tended to. Uh, I was catching them. I, I it felt like I had four arms. I only had six burners and, and, and an oven. And, it was, and we, we were so fast that we beat the drinks out. So we had to, we cooks came out in our dirty cook um, where and, and serve the table themselves. They were shocked. One of them was quite incredulous and said, "Like, hey, did you already have those stuff ordered? Because we want fresh food, you know." It's like, and and then there's just this power kind of came from said, "Like, no, we made them right now." And and then <laughs> and then whoa, you know, there's some kind of sense of a uh, you know waves coming through. And and so we and that alone was magical. We cleared, cleared the table. We had a massive tip from them. Um, they were blown away. And and but it gets crazier because there we were again. And I said, well, wouldn't it be cool if 18 people called up and came in? And that's exactly what happened. We, we had 18 come in. Uh, we sat them in the, in, in the exact spot where, where that um, first, it's the only place we could fit such large tables was in our back garden area. And only this time it was much more difficult because I said, well, it would be great if 18 came in, but it's going to be harder this time because like we, we, We'll have to prep some stuff on the fly, um, and and uh, Althea will have to come in here and chop peppers, probably on an upturned ice cream bucket. Um, cut, cutting boards—that's exactly what happened. But it was still done in bliss and joy and flow. It was just um, more difficult, and so they left. And then I was about to say, "Wouldn't it be?" And then they said, "Like we're done, Ishtar," and and that was the end <laughs> of the day. So I I. I, I had had a desire for most of my life um, because I've had a lot of this sort of thing happen. I had this always this desire that I wanted something that was so big and so improbable that I couldn't rationalize it away as chance. And that was always a very strong desire. And I realized after that second party went out, I was like, okay, thank you. You gave me that one. You know, you, you gave me, you gave me that one because I can't, I can't, you know, put this into any kind of even half-heartedly into a rational box. What was the special on the menu that day? <laughs> there was no special. Um, it, it was it was just like making quesadillas and making um, vegetarian the vegetarian burritos that we had, and nice. sold out of the soup. Um, you know, with, with the last with the last table, I think it was my potato, um, you know, and that was you know we had some um, Asian wraps. That I also had to grill up all the vegetables on the stove because they were hot wraps, and you know, send them over to the cold side, and and you know, put some salads out. But that was 
that was that. Okay, you have experiences like that. That yeah. clearly makes you feel that materialistic reality is a very poor model to explain the universe that we live in. Yes. What yes. replace it? Like, what? where do you go from there? Like, you have those experiences that clearly tell you there's a whole other game happening at another level of reality. How does that make you? Because, I mean, like, the most base and obvious way that people play with it is like, you know, because everybody's watched The Matrix, they go like, oh, The Matrix, or they play with like the idea that we are in some way like Hinduism does, like in a cosmic video game where, you know, it's the same entity that splits in 10,000 million different characters to play. And uh, part of the game is you need to make sure that you don't remember that you are the character playing. Otherwise, <laughs> it's not as fun. You need to be completely identified in all these different things. So those are all models to try to vaguely make sense of what probably can't be made sense of. What's <laughs> your... And I understand that, again, I'm asking... Of course, I'm not as Like, I understand that I ask impossible questions because I ask for neat and precise explanations for what cannot be explained neatly or precisely. And yet, here I am doing it anyway. <laughs> well, so what's the way you explain it to yourself, I guess, which is... Well, yeah, absolutely. My, my baseline bias, if I prior to bias and because an explanation or a part of an explanation would would be about one third of the way where you were with Hinduism. Um, uh -huh. And maybe, maybe the two thirds that might not be as much some of the commentary on it, but but the sense of, um, you know, one being in this case being consciousness or whatever, we, whatever the hell we want to actually call it. Oh, sure. some, sort, some sort of blanket that we take and we can fold into a million different little um, crenellations and, and those little crenellations form the, the tables and, and, and humans and, and leaves and everything else of the, of the, of the world. And, and maybe I do it a little in a little bit more modernized way uh, in, in a sense when, when I think, well, there, there is something to holographic universe theory, I, I, I think that that's, has in common with that. Um, this sense of, of the whole, the entire whole also existing in its entirety in every part and every part having having some uh, some sort of reflection of every other part inside it like that or thinking of David Bohm's kind of ideas of, of the implicate mm -hmm. order um, which just is, is a modern take on Hinduism 101 uh, truth be told um, and so that that's that's kind of the the way I the, the model that I've um, thought of yeah because I've seen you even write a little bit about the whole uh, debate regarding free will versus yeah. feeling that sometimes there is a script in things like some there are those yes. moments where you feel like these click the little too perfectly for or not perfectly because sometimes it can be in horrendous circumstances but it may feel like i i sense that there's something behind it that is not just random chance that this is playing the way it's playing how do you tackle that Right. Well, yeah, that's that's something that that certainly has been a big debate in, um, you know, my mind since early childhood, because those scripts were the, the sense of um, scriptedness and, and having these very detailed daydreams and um, other sorts of things. And then having them take place the next day or a couple of weeks later, was, it was almost too, um, you know, too eerie or. Um, you know, yeah. walking well, every now and then walk. I, I had this great, wonderful luck with raffles um, and, and with guessing jet. Well, I won't get into guessing jelly beans and jars. I had good, there was good luck there, <laughs> but th there could be some sort of subconscious um, um, estimation program that, that that's running there as well. But 
um, walking to a raffle, buy a raffle at a state fair, and usually it was an experience of nothing there, but um, I would get this hit in my abdomen. Kind of reminds me of Jung and his, and his you know, burning his abdomen and hearing this noise with, with Freud, but I'd get this hit in my abdomen and say, like, I'm going to win that one. You know, get over there, you know, and right. get a ticket. There we are. I, I've, I've won some, some gaudy prize. Um, I, th- this <laughs> happened um, uh, when I was in fifth grade, too, in my school. We were um, choosing amongst the safety patrollers. We, we, were, we were basically glorified fifth grade crossing guards. And that was something I was on. And we Can you were, believe that was actually allowed? That would, not exi- that would not exist today. I had safety patrol in the 70s. Yeah, just no way, man. Can't do that. Children can't be responsible. I'm sorry, that just set me off. Um, <laughs> Good, no safety problem. patrol is something that does not exist in the era of helicopter moms. There's no safety patrol anymore. The there's no safety. Hell patrol? no. Oh no, you would never have a fifth grader out. And here in California, what I really love is the, is the elementary schools are so close is that we were able to like pretty much in most of these more suburban communities, you can walk to school every day, which is somewhat unheard of to begin yeah. with. But yeah, no, there's no safety patrol. That's an adult now because God forbid a child actually uh, hold up a sign and keep the traffic at bay. Oh my God. Well, I, I, I didn't mean to completely wreck everything, but wow, that just like I don't another know if you've problem to deal with. You've augmented everything, but we have to throw some of this <laughs> into the podcast, I think. Um, I, will, I will say that in certain neighborhoods of Portland, Oregon, there are safety patrol. Um, Good. With, with um, bright reflection. Now they got to fight off federal goons, signs. though. That's a different thing. Thankfully, I've read a lot of Herodotus, so I can deal with digression after digression and not lose my place. And, and, and so actually, there was in fifth grade, we were deciding um, by um, who, who was going to go to on this wonderful trip to Washington, D.C. And at the time, I was, I was in love with everything having to do with American government and, and wanted to be. And that was my goal as a child was I wanted to be um, uh, a representative and serve my country in that capacity. And uh, that, and, you know, go as far as I was elected to go and as far as I did the job. So it's very patriotic in that sense. And, and so immediately um, upon being given my stub, which I remember the number was E85, um, I, I was filled with the complete confidence that my number would be the first one that was drawn out of the hat. I just absolutely knew. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was no question of doubt that, that this, yep, this is the golden ticket. And, and sure enough, there, there it was. And, you know, uh, alone and isolated, that sort of experience doesn't mean so much. But there was this, um, you know, this pattern of, of this kind of um, warmth in the abdomen and, and, and complete certitude that would kind of go up my spine and, and a complete then silence and lack of any ability to doubt that, that what was going to happen was going to happen. And, and there we were. So. There was a there was another though of those insights where I figured okay I'm seeing the script, you know I'm seeing and another thing that made me think about the, um, you know putting things in that sort of theatrical model, is that very early on I, um, you know I would notice the the split in the adults around me and by split I mean, I when they moved their mouth and told me things, it was often completely at odds with this sort of level of the inner being that I felt from them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would, I would, and that was at first a, a strange phenomenon for me. I had to learn how to parse it out with not just adults, then with everybody. But I would feel what was going on with the person, and then the, what what they would tell me was so different than than the 
because I would actually even sort of hear people screaming out of their hearts, you know, like, give, please love me, please give me some attention. And then the words that they would say would always be completely different. So there was this sense of, even in that level, which maybe it's not the ultimate level, there was a sense of, of progressive levels in which people seemed to be more real, and more fake, depending upon which way you went. Um, you know, where, and, and whenever anybody would, would pull their mask off and exist without having a mask on, it was always the most beautiful thing, um, you know, in the world to me. And How rare would that be? What percentage yeah. of people would you think uh, act that way? There, there, I mean, um, you know, n- nobody all the time. For sure. uh, and then a few people some of the time. And then mo- most people rarely. Uh, and that was kind of how it how it broke down. Uh, at least at least in my in my early childhood. Later on, I, I met people who seemed to be um, maskless most of the time, or maybe maskless almost all of the time. And that was a uh, um, a beautiful thing to be around, and a challenging thing to be around. I love the notion of seeing the script because I always think of it as the universe winking at me and letting yeah. me know you're never going to get it. But <laughs> the time I went to say goodbye to my grandmother because she was very close to passing happened to be uh, on coastal California where, where I grew up a good amount. And my wife and I decided, well, the best place to do it, we say goodbye and there was nothing anybody could do. And she was pretty much on her way. And I'd always heard that it's best to leave those folks alone so they can take mm-hmm. care of their business. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we went down to the, the beach where she had taken me to hundreds of times my entire life and there were at least 15 humpbacks splashing and jumping out of the water more than I'd ever seen in my life that you know we've seen a couple whales here and there and at the same time there were three blues over further out doing the same thing (laughs) and the feeling I can I get tingles right now just remembering it because there are those moments where something tells you it's all gonna be all right I really think I, and I don't know how that intertwines with the way you see, you know, seeing the script, but I, I think it's got to be kind of the same. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That, that, those, those sorts of, um, you know, very clear, very strange, very rare signs have, have, uh, are, are certainly part of that. Yeah. That's, that's the, the ultimate intelligence or whatever we want to call it, you know, winking out or you winking out at it yourself, because I think yeah. there's a level in all of us that knows the whole damn game that if we just, if we just drop, drop the tension, Drop the tension of the character, fall back into the ocean. You know the whole damn script, frontwards and backwards. Mm-hmm. You see it, we've seen it all. So I guess that convinces me that I do have, a, I'm not just a lowly black belt in psychopathology, I'm like a 10th degree black belt in psychopathology <laughs> because I feel that like I have experienced more moments like these than the average person. Like in talking to people, I can think of so many examples or situation where I felt exactly what you're talking about in an eerie kind of way, in a moment where I go like, whoa, okay, this is different. And yet, maybe because my psychopathology is particularly strong, somehow that brings me almost very mild comfort. (laughs) Uh, Not nearly as much as you would expect, considering the range of experiences you know, to me, it's like I hear your story, I hear your experiences, and I can clearly see where that takes you. 
and I feel that I have the experience, I have this thing, and it fails to make the next jump. <laughs> it fails to, uh, you know, what you were saying at the beginning about the sort of lessening on all the fears and concern and weirdness and all of that that characterize the individual self as we know it. Yeah, it's like I have that launching point, but I can't quite then get there on a more regular basis for some reason. You know, I, I wouldn't, um, I, I, I wouldn't uh, d describe you that way. I wouldn't say you've got the ten, you know, the the ten thousand degree black black belt there. I, I mean, just based on my own life, I had a lot of what most people, bunches of what people would consider crazy, weird, miraculous, or whatever experiences happened for a long time, and yet at yeah. the same time, I had such, uh, like anybody else, such a net of internal of conditioning yeah. that when I would have these, it's, it's not like it was, they would change the entire structure of, of my life. I was still living mainly as this, this suffering person, um, yeah. you know, with, with my, with my kind of fucked up and, and limited <laughs> narratives. And, and I needed a stronger medicine than uh, I, you know, than, than a lot of those experiences I needed to be um, dipped into that, uh, pure consciousness. I needed to be taken into that unconditioned mind or that unconditioned awareness. And I needed to do that a lot too. Um, it, you know, that, that wasn't a one and done thing, but there was, um, it took even, it took more than the six and a half years of, of monastic living to, uh, you know, to go in the, and, it, and it'll keep going from there. But, um, it, you know, that, that still took some, some, some time and some doing, I, I think that, you know, that, you know, the condition self is just pretty recalcitrant. And so the main concrete step that you took was, well, there are many, but I guess meditate, if we want to summarize it in one word, meditation has been yeah, kind of the yeah. key for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I went through several, um, a few techniques until I got to really what was my sweet spot too. And I, um, you know, the first techniques were, you really can't call them, dignify them as calling them techniques. I remember I was 14. I just watched The Little Buddha, you know, with Keanu Reeves. And I was right. damned yeah. impressed with that film. And so I, I, you know, I didn't have any instructions. So I just went out to the nature preserve, sat by where the, sat by the turtles and was yeah. trying to go like, emptiness is fullness, fullness is emptiness and close my eyes and be in as much of a lotus posture as possible. And, you know, that, that really didn't do much for me. And, you know, it kind of evolved from there with, with, um, with books and then with, with physical in person teachers and, um, and then, and then ultimately something that, um, you know, kind of did it for me, um, more, more efficiently than, than a lot of my crazy asceticism was, was doing. Okay. So, so for, still for the sake of confessing, uh, all my weirdness, like, you know, we, just in the last few days, by the way, just for this is for listener. In the last few days, Ishtar reached out to me and said, hey, I got a feeling that I need to teach you more about meditation. And I was like, yeah, I got a feeling that you're damn right because uh, it's something that I feel that I need, but I struggle with. Like, I can't even tell you how many times I told myself, I really think that would be a practice that can help me. And how many times I would then go, yeah, no. And uh, or start for a minute and be like, okay, I did it. That was great. Thank you. Bye. And why do you think? And I don't know. I I would. I mean, maybe it's me. I doubt it's just me. I'm imagining other people too. Why so much resistance to something mm -hmm. that's ultimately good for you? 
God. Well, you know, I was scared of it. And I think we're all a little bit different. But um, in my case, maybe my fear was, a, was easy to explain. I was, I was conscious of maybe I think some of the lines of it. In my case, I was afraid that um, I would totally lose control in a, in a very meaningful way. Um, that, that was what it really boiled down to. Um, I, I also sensed that there was a part, there was a, I, I called it the crazy monk inside me. I, I for, for lack of any words, but I felt this energy that just wanted to let go of everything. And it scared the bejesus out of me. It, it absolutely scared me. Um, cause anytime I dip into that, yeah. Um, there, there would be this, this dissolution of, of all the, all the, um, neurotic existential maladaptive uh controls and so i i dragged my feet for like i i say dragged my feet i dragged my feet for about three years um you know to really go there i had to get myself ready uh to do that i think that's it's actually i do think it kind of boils down to the same for a lot of us um is is there's this sense of we think part of our self thinks we're walking to our funeral and really we're kind of walking to you know, life with a capital L, but we don't know that until we, until we get through. Um, well, and I mean, it's interesting that you mentioned the word funeral because in regard, it does seem related. You know, it does seem like ultimately because these are issues about really meaning of life, death, beyond this state of consciousness. That is what we're dealing with. So that is what, I mean, somebody can talk about meditation in terms of, oh, you take 10 minutes every day and you are more productive. I mean, sure, that's great, sweet, but that's not really anything of the stuff you're referring to. Or if you go to a deeper level, it does boil down to things that are how you view the universe, how your perception of yourself, of everything else around you, of life after that, if, all of that stuff, right? Yeah. So it's, yeah. I can see how, but even that it's interesting because, for example, if uh, the name of the game is that death is not something to fear, if the name of the game is that this plane of existence is one but is really not, you know, the be-all and all of it all, then why even be afraid of that aspect, you know? Why be afraid of death? Why be afraid of meditation? Why be afraid of, you know, it's, it seems counterintuitive yeah yeah well see i don't make um ego or any other thing inside of some kind of bad guy uh, in some kind sure. of like gnostic uh sense sure. of some kind of a flaw that's just not my the, the, I, at one time i was very sympathetic to that you know, i was maybe mm -hmm. 15 and really into that and it seemed to make sense because i could see like geez there's a great there is a death wish in a bad sense motherfucker in here who's just a saboteur yeah. And wow, and I can see that in everybody else around me. And um, I think that's that's true to a certain extent. But I, but I, I, I guess over the years I sort of saw that, saw deeper than that. Maybe that facade of abs, you know, absolute imperf imperfect, some sort of absolute imperfect aspect inside us. And I saw that you know the saboteur is just a, a prodigal son or daughter. You know, even the saboteur that's in us just wants love. And and if you just give it enough love, if you just Give it that, then it becomes a pussycat, you know, and, and it becomes our friend and it, and it looks out for us. And, and so that's kind of where I stand on that whole thought of are we, you know, like, is there an essentially rotten part in us? I don't think there is. Yeah, I mean, I'm not thinking in a sinful, you are evil kind of way. 
but in terms of like why again why stay away from a practice like meditation that's good for you and slash why be so worried about something like death if it's not the end of it all if it's not like where kind of according to the materialistic model all everything that you have ever come to know comes to an end and good luck and fun that's it yeah. you know if it's not if it's not that kind of stuff then why is there some there's that kind of survival instinct in us that sees death as the ultimate fear the ultimate horror the ultimate you know everything terrible associated with it even though we all know that we all die you know it's not that we have any illusion that so you know kind of like it seems like a very convoluted process to be constantly at war with something that not only it's inevitable but it may not even be that bad yeah yeah well i think that the house that we build when when and you know to use the buddhist analogy actually that sure. the ego is the house that we build is is on such ultimately on such flimsy ground and there's even a sense in it that knows that and so i think that part of the game is this constant effort to keep the house of cards going mm-hmm. the, the ego you know as a as a part of the self as as a part of the taxon some taxonomy of the greater psyche it's just ill fit to be the center of existence sure. and so in that capacity i think that that just alone structurally i think it gives birth to all sorts of irrational wheeling and dealing uh, and scheming and conning mm-hmm. um sort of behavior and 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 often you know it's you know, you know, sure, we might we might have a knowing somewhere that we oh God, meditation, we need to go in that direction. But you know, uh, that that recalcitrant little self is just going to do what it has to do to survive. And if it's never tasted chocolate, sure. you know, um, no amount of talking about the glories of chocolate is necessarily going to get it to change its game. No, that makes sense. And so, in that regard, you take uh, what do you think happens when somebody dies? Well, I think it's it's a little bit, it's ultimately the same, but I think that there's some variations in it because I, I do think there's something to ghosts. Um, uh, you know, I'm pretty open on my um, metaphysics here, the kind of thing I've taken, because, but that was a, um, a, a considerable part of my early childhood. Um, and that continued to be a part of my life, um, you know, going up and up and down in concentration until the present day. And you know, there, there was a sense that some of these beings that would come into my bedroom when I was very small, um, you know, and kind of I'd get their stories and feel the feelings I came in with. But one of the main things that was coming with these beings was regret and fear. And um, I would, you know, sit in my little rocking chair. Um, I dressed up as Sherlock Holmes because that made me feel uh, psychologically safe to turn my room into a consulting room then i had a job and they had you know they had a role as client and and so then there could be some order and i would close my eyes and go into this bright vast space inside and project it and they'd be gone and so i I always chalked this up to my imagination for most of my life and and until i kind of started to get some strange confirmations i.e other people seeing the same damn things that i saw um you know independently um so so in that sense, I, I think that, you know, we, we kind of shed this body. Um, we, we can go into eternity. And from eternity, then, you know, 
most of us, uh, you know, project again into another body. I, I do think that there's, um, there's merit for reincarnation as a model. Um, if I were to point anybody in, the, in a scholarly direction, I, I would start with the University of Virginia's research under, under Dr. Ian Stevenson, uh, which uh, took place exclusively with children who had spontaneous uh, recollections of past lives. And they, they screened out, you know, uh, the, the questionable cases and, and still are left with, I think about, what is it, like 8,000 of what they considered strong cases um, right. uh, cross-culturally from around the world, including cultures that didn't believe in reincarnation. It's the late Dr. Ian Stevenson. Now, now they've continued. Uh, Jim Tucker. Okay, I don't have to apologize to Dr. Tucker for forgetting his name. It's the University of Virginia is, is the, the institute. I think that it's called the um, Institute for Personality Studies or something like that. Mm -hmm. I think they were founded by um, some rich, uh, maybe the inventor of the Bell Helicopter. Uh, so some rich industrialist who had a big interest in parapsychology decided that they wanted to fund this thing forever. And, and right. so they, they picked Stevenson, who was uh, born as a dyed-in-the-wool materialist scientist, a chemist um, of some uh, great respect, uh, very hard-nosed. And he took this as a hobby horse and then rode with it as a career. Carl Sagan, who um, oh. is, is my oft, oft nemesis in the Church of Scientism. However... He stated uh, there were three lines of research that got him interested. One of them was what Stevenson was up to. This phenomena of children with spontaneous memories and other things like xenoglossy, which is a weird thing. Xenoglossy is when you, when you start speaking a language that nobody's speaking around you when you're a child or, or when you're coming out of a stroke that you haven't learned. But it's more effective when they're children because they don't have any other way of, uh, for instance, right. a, a dear friend of my family, um, my, my sister's best friend growing up, um, was speaking Russian, apparently. They didn't know what she was speaking until a Russian speaker came came by, and then wow. they and and that was you know it's, uh, not, not really creepy. in my town. So so yeah, so things like that thing uh, uh, that that's one of the the most stunning examples that that makes your eyebrow go up if if you happen to be a materialist. So that makes you feel that reincarnation is not a bad model to explain at least another layer of reality yes if not the ultimate of ultimates at least something more beyond this one in my own subjective experience what it what it feels like to me is everything's happening all at once and it's just folded up so you know time space you fold it up and and you you take it down to nothing you pull it out stretch it out into all these this timeline and all these multitude and myriad lives and, and ways of existing and but it's all happening right now and uh, I've had some weird experiences in this life. Uh, I'm about to share them just for, for fun. Um, August of 2017 was one of the most fun and strange months of my life because um, I had um, uh, an open question in my mind for the nine years, eight, nine years previous of living in Portland, Oregon. I, was, I would ask myself, what the fuck am I doing here? because <laughs> you know, uh, in many ways the town didn't quite feel like it was maybe the most nurturing space and yet there was this gravity for me to be there in so many ways or that great bookstore that an incredible bookstore they have yes and and um if you're listening um buy something from pals.com because they can exactly. use all the money they can get and you can order yeah. books on their website instead of amazon so there's a plug for pals i love that place yeah dangerous for sure yeah you know, what happened was I would be experiencing my, my life in 2017, um, Oregon. And, and what started off as powerful, spontaneous emotions from looking at certain things, 
I would look at a retaining wall or one of those highway divider walls with, with maybe some vines on it, I would start sobbing. And I, and for no reason, I, I would um, turn at the top of the hill going down Sandy Boulevard. Um, and in the distance, I would see these, um, the, the, the West Hills of Portland in the distance, I would start crying. And this happened maybe um, seven times on seven different days. And I would keep myself from crying actually because I was driving and I wanted to concentrate on what I was doing. Yeah. And, oh, and on the, you know, one of the last times I said like, you know, next time this happens and this comes up, I'm just going to let my, give myself to it. I'm going to let myself go all the way into that feeling, see what the hell happens and, and just, you know, trust that I'll drive you know, carefully enough. And so the next time it happened, I did that. And, and it was the most joyous, beautiful joy that just beamed out of my chest and the word, um, lucha. Um, came out, and um, I, I knew that that was a town in Italy. Um, I'd never been been to it or seen it, but I, I knew it was a town in Tuscany. And I went um, on a Google search that night, put in um, Lucha, and I, I pulled it up, and the, the first image that came looked exactly like the image I kept seeing of the West Hills. I could almost overlay them on each other. And, and um, after that, it, it became trippier. I was walking around... Um, town, and I was seeing people in two or three um, layers as if I had a, a a visual layer of Portland 2017. Then on it, I would see, I, I felt as if I was in the second century BC Rome. People were dressed differently, had different faces, but I could see both faces at the same time. Um, when we would talk in English, um, I would be hearing other kind of Latin sounds. Um, but more than that, I had this intuitive knowing of exactly why I was interacting with every single person on the street. There was such a fulfillment and sense of being at home and being at the right place at the right time for just about the entire month. And, and then after the Rome, uh, you know, another layer kind of came down. I, I felt I would see sometimes three people, not with everybody, some people were only in Portland 2017. Most people were in Portland and Rome. And a third group of, of people were, were all were in um, what, what felt like um, 15th century Tuscany. And uh, just, you know, it's, it's so subjective. No, I don't really do drugs. This is all <laughs> endogenous DMT uh, right. here, uh, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Unless my Thai food was laced. Um, but, but. You know, the, there was such a, a deep sense of, of synchronicity for, for probably 20, 26 days out of that, out of that month that just, that just stayed there, uh, including, I remember opening a refrigerator door, um, you, you know, and, and for some reason the, the thoughts came into my mind. I have, um, um, I have, I have to go. I have business in Capua and then Brundisium. And then I, I looked up and, and I, and I realized that Capua and, and Brindisium, now known as Brindisi, are, were the other main junctures on the Appian Way. And, right. and, and my, it's, it was just a weird thought to kind of pop out of nowhere. And I didn't even, I didn't know that Capua, um, um, I actually didn't know about Capua. I'm a good historian, but it wasn't in my, um, head. Right. I, I knew about Brind, Brindisi and I, and it's, it's like, right. oh, Brindisium sounds like what it would be called back then. Yeah, and so that yeah. was that was another interesting little weird happening in that in that time period. Trippy man, trippy, 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 on so many levels. What's the definition of recalcitrant? I don't know that word. Stubborn. Oh, I do. I know that action. Unyielding. To a Taurus. 
yeah. for the benefit of people listening. I have to tell, I, I wrote uh, this to Ishtar because it was funny, but uh, a few days ago I went in to see this guy who is a phenomenon. I really like him and uh, he does osteopathic treatments and uh, he was treating me and like within five minutes he looked at me and he was like, did you start meditating? And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Because it was exactly <laughs> like after, I think, whatever many days in a row that we did, uh, that you are walking me through meditation. Right. And I was like, what the hell? How is that even that? Why are you asking? <laughs> I want you to ask, whatever. It's, it's pretty funny. Well, he was tuning into something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I don't know how many times, like, uh, in my, uh, in quotes, career uh, as a meditation mm -hmm. teacher, you could just feel a difference in people. Like even in, in the, I would teach people often in weekend classes um, and sometimes start on a, on a Friday evening. Good Lord. Just, just that people are holding their bodies differently. And, and it's, and it, I remember some people came in with you know, the, the most intense um, kind of a gargoyle face, strength beyond anything and, and shoulders taut and, veins veins in the head and yep. neck and then you know three days later you know it's, it's like you're with some kind of surfer there's a plug for meditation <laughs> i would imagine teaching meditation in the era of covid is a little challenging well, there's lots of time yeah. available <laughs> yes lots of time not not a lot of um proximity Comfort. uh available yeah, the the retreats i'm guessing are a little challenging at this time yeah i mean people have asked me to do things longer retreats online but it actually those don't make any sense uh, as far as mm -hmm. the way I usually read retreats because those are best served in in this kind of shared environment and yeah the shared sort of presence that kind of builds up with you know a few people in the same space meditating eyes closed for like 12 hours a day there's there's just something you know gets really thick in the air but you know teaching people um sort of beginning meditation whether you're, you know, a beginner or kind of advanced in whatever practice, that that seems to work online. I was quite skeptical that it that it would translate. And but you know, I, I almost exclusively taught meditation in person for years and years and years. And of course, didn't really question that because I've always been kind of a vinyl guy, anyways. Yeah. Uh, in, in all things, but um, here we are. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, I the challenges of the new world for sure. Yeah. That's how the gig works. So, for example, for people who want to check out your work, what you do, meditation courses, classes, anything, what's the way to go about it? Well, uh, take a trip by my website, which, which probably needs quite a bit of updating and content added, but at least you can go to it, see a little bit about what, what, I'm, what I'm about, and then send me an email on the contact page, and my website will probably have below in, in some comment space, but it's www.ascension-meditation.com. Ascension-meditation.com. Okay, I'll make sure to include it in the episode notes. Yeah. yeah. Anything else you want to throw out there? God, no, you guys are so much fun. I have a feeling, we're, we're, I mean, we've, we've just hit the iceberg a lot, the tip of the iceberg of so many of these yeah. topics are pretty deep. No, I mean, meaning of life, nothing else. <laughs> meaning of life, nothing else. Yeah, it's kind of yeah, like, yeah. okay, Star, just uh, so we got five minutes. Can you can you please tell us the meaning of life? And, uh, you know, in few words, because we don't want to waste too much time. <laughs> you know, that's the kind of... Uh... What got you to Portugal? Are you permanently there or are you just hanging? 
Probably permanent. Um, I mean, what's permanent in my life, for God's sakes? But because um, I thought um, the Portland story was going to be go to Portugal. <laughs> well, it starts with a port, so I, ah. I mean, we've got that going. But um, um, my my lovely wife, uh, who I met in the United States, we met at university. Um, well, it turned out that she was born in Portugal and raised there too, and has you know dual citizenship, and nice. and so. Um, you know, we've been together for eight years and, um, last, this last year, um, October, uh, we, we came to Portugal after, you know, kind of cruising around, um, Europe for, uh, about a month and a half, two months. So it just seemed like the thing to do at the time. And then here we are and it's, you know, it takes some, some doing, even as I'm married to uh, a Portuguese citizen and, you know, the Portuguese bureaucracy, it takes some time to process citizenship papers and all that sort of stuff. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for the time. I've had a blast. I've had a blast too. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, the funky music means one thing. That's the end of another fine episode of the Drunken Dow Spice. There's 187 of them, plus a few bonus episodes. It's almost a 200. That's amazing. Really is. We're, it's crazy because, yeah, most podcasts don't make it through 10 episodes. We are, uh, and, you know, our 200 are not the 200s of somebody who recorded one a day in six months kind of thing. It's like it's a long, slow stay in power that's... Uh, Next month will be eight years, eight, eight solid years. years. Of drunken Taoist. Y'all are God. so lucky. That's insane. <laughs> it's insane. Okay, guys. So thank you so much for listening. If we, if you could please check out the people who have been supporting us in one way or another through free products or things like that, they are at the top of the episode. Uh, Shore Design, Grassland Beef, Zebra Athletics, and BeyondO2Water.com. Uh, thank you so much to those of you who have been supporting the show by donating or using the Amazon link. You guys are phenomenal. Thank you so much, and we shall see you on the other side. Yeah, be safe out there, everybody. And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Dows Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as they come out. You can keep track of Daniele at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at Richimon1. R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N and the numeral one. We'll see you all soon. Woo! In questo caso, in questo caso, le provvidenze di Dio. Duncan showed you the way, eh? Oh man, isn't that scary to think? Nice. So don't kill people, do that instead.
Awesome. And I love this conversation. I have nothing against chicken other than the fact that they are ugly and weird and strange. We've been yeah, having a great hour nice. here. Dun, dun, dun. I completely got lost. Are we doing the outro or the intro? We're outro. Oh, we're out. Okay, sorry. So that's so let's continue. Did you ever see the movie Tombstone with uh, Val Kilmer and uh, uh, your accent? It just whatever that movie is you were trying to tell. Can me you about, translate for me, please? I believe the word was tombstone. Yeah, that one exactly. <laughs> just as I was saying, you know. Tombstone. <laughs> now, most everybody thought. <coughs> Sorry. We'll, <coughs> we'll do a cut on there. Or not. That was something else. <laughs> no, that's maybe too powerful. <laughs> what do I have to do? One day the rod shall teach you. Get back to work. Funky. Podcasting. It's like radio, but you can cuss. Why?